and welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm Holly Rubenstein. I'm a travel journalist and editor. And here each week, I'll be speaking to a very special guest about their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. Today, I'm joined by the much-loved chef, restaurateur and TV presenter, Tom Kerridge. Tom's worked in food since he was 18 years old, but he rose to fame when his pub in Buckinghamshire, The Hand and Flowers, went on to become the only pub in Britain with two Michelin stars. I, like many, got to know and love him on the BBC's Great British Menu show, where he was the first chef to cook at the banquet two years in a row. And he's since gone on to release several best-selling cookbooks and many popular TV shows. More recently, he's made headlines with his dramatic 12 stone weight loss. As well as chatting a bit about that, Tom takes us on a journey across the UK, Europe, Asia and the US with his travel diaries and lots of foodie recommendations along the way. This is what I call a long haul episode. You're getting a bit more this week because Tom is so lovely and we just couldn't stop chatting. And I hope you'll really enjoy it. So let's hear from Tom Carriage. Tom Kerridge, welcome to The Travel Diaries. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. I imagine that your life has involved a huge amount of travel, so I'm really excited to hear about some of the places you've been. But actually, let's start at the very beginning, first of all, and that's Chapter One, which is your earliest childhood travel memory. Um, So it's quite weird because it's within this country, but it was kind of... So I grew up... Um, single parent family it was just me mum and myself and my brother so she was kind of like bringing up two kids and everyone else in and around the area where we lived would get on holiday and they would they would go abroad they would go to Spain or they would go you know it was you know package holidays from the late 70s and early 80s and you know as young kids we were like you know seeing people go off on holiday so my mum um it came up with the idea and it, and I look back at it and it's great but my our third, earliest travel memories was Isle of Wight going on holiday to the Isle of Wight and it felt like you were leaving somewhere getting on a ferry you know mm. in my mum's car she'd drive us we get on the ferry and actually leaving the coast and going somewhere else I mean it's a tiny little ferry ride something but like it, just going off to an island though just makes it feel like you're heading somewhere right exactly it was super special and we would go to a um and it would be like a holiday park um a little bit like Butlins but wasn't it was you know the same sort of huts that you'd stay in it was a little bit like Heidi High when I look back at it that kind of thing <laughs> with a, an indoor and an outdoor swimming pool but I don't think they were heated but it was just I mean there were and there would always be loads of kids playing and I just remember you know it had its own arcade and it was just it was just a great place to hang out and have fun and enjoy being there and it was just it it, it felt like as children we were going on holiday and it was special and the Isle of Wight is lovely I mean it's a beautiful I haven't been back for years and years and years but it, it I just remember it as a magical island and a special place as a child mm, it's it is a really beautiful place I was actually there in the summer and as you say that ferry ride in itself just going across seeing the coastline it shows how beautiful parts of Britain are and are worth going on holiday to yeah exactly you don't it's weird isn't it because you don't think about it when you're here and then you go up and you know and you see all the tourists coming here and coming to see the sites and actually a celebration of Great Britain is amazing we're an incredible island with some beautiful places to visit but yeah you get on that ferry you see the needles and you see that you know yeah. and you just say actually this is amazing it's like we should be super proud of this country and our coastline and our holiday spaces that we go to but yeah that was a, a real um 
they were wonderful childhood memories, amazing holidays, and, and they felt very. Um, it did feel very special. My mum, my mum was very good at making us feel um, that we weren't missing out on anything, even though there wasn't a lot of money there. Mm, that's really nice. And so you're you're saying your friends were going off to Spain and and places that were abroad. When was the first time that you went abroad? Um, so I did a school trip. Um, we, we did something in in France uh, for a day to the north of France. We did some. We went uh, to Austria skiing when I was fifteen. And I remember having to stay for that for ages between me and my mum. And then and was that exciting? It so, was. It was yeah. amazing going yeah. to a foreign country. It was brilliant. It was. A, it was absolutely fantastic. But I don't. You know, I think the first time I got on a plane, I don't think I was until I was. 18 19 20 I did you know mm-hmm. there, there was there was things that I, I hadn't been on or hadn't done I you know it's just because there wasn't the money there wasn't the spaces there I mean I remember going to um first foreign trip kind of like a weekend again it was my mum we went to Ostend in Belgium like uh-huh. you know and it was again getting a ferry over to somewhere else that wasn't a plane flight it wasn't you know anything as extravagant as that but then I think the first real holiday as such that I actually remember having of going this is amazing and it wasn't until I I met my wife Beth so I was 25 years old Mm -hmm. um, and we went on holiday to Greece we went to a little tiny island called a geestry now Beth is well traveled she you know she she left um home and she 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 spent two years chasing the snow around the alps skiing she went and she lived in greece for a year and a half working in bars she's done you know she she got out she left home went Mm -hmm. out there went she went to she went to college then she went to university then she went she went on to uh, the royal college of art and then after that she went and did she's lived she got out there and lived she went and done she's done stuff Mm -hmm. like you know she's a very successful sculptor isn't she she is she's very successful she's great you know she's done you know part of the a lot of the travel parts of the travel that we've come up to in you know dubai is a big space she's got a huge um, piece of work at the front of the dubai opera house you know so oh, she wow. she carves a lot of marble out in italy um in carrera where the where the marble is um and then she she built this piece so she was out in italy for about nine months on and off building this piece that then got shipped out to dubai so you know her travel she she she, she's up for travel she travels integral to her career too exactly yeah and she you know and 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 being inspired you know she's inspired me and and travels have, have been hugely inspiring but she was the first person because of her time of living in greece and how much she loves it and not not like party Greece, not like get out there, nightclubs, you know, actually living there behind the scenes, the little fishing port and the beautiful villages. And we went to this beautiful tiny island called Agee Street. And, and I've I never remember, heard of Agee Street. Yeah, it's about an hour, an hour's ferry ride from Athens. So I remember flying, okay. into, we flew into Athens. It was a, you know, one of those cheap flights that you get into Athens really early in the morning and then you get a ferry. And I remember getting the ferry into this beautiful little island and it, it, the sun was just coming up. And the first thing I did is jump in the sea and swim. It was just like, I couldn't believe why I'd never been on proper holiday before. I couldn't believe that, you know, I, I left school and I went straight into a kitchen pretty much from the age of 18. Like, and, 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 and you know, for seven years, I'd just been working as a chef and never on a holiday, really. And, you know, if I did have holiday, it'd be down to Cornwall with me mates drinking cider and not. And all of a sudden, you know, I'd met this amazing girl and she said, let's go to Greece. And I thought it'd be like proper party. And it was, it was just amazing. And uh, yeah, so and we've been going to Greece probably 
I'd say on and off every year since then. So, you know, the last 20 years, you know, backwards and forwards to Greece and different islands and Cyprus and, uh, uh, and Crete. And, you know, it, I just absolutely love it. And I love, I love Greek food. I love, I, I love the way that, um, there's a small vocabulary Greek food. It's not huge, you know, mm-hmm. they, but what they do is beautiful. When it's looked up, it's so immersive of the environment that it's very dry. It's very, it's, it, there's, it's very rustic. It's very, they're great with dried herbs. You know, we always talk about in cooking about the use of wonderful fresh herbs and that's amazing. But Greek cookery really does embrace dried herbs. And, and so that kind of like arid cooking that's, that's big on flavor, but it's just something very, very special. Things like Cypriot potatoes, that the, the soil that works so well that creates this wonderful flavor. They're, I, I'm hugely in love with, with, Greek food, Greek cooking, and and the islands of Greece. So yeah, mm. that was that was kind of my first real real holiday, and it's one that I've I've fallen in love with massively. Mm. Well, speaking of falling in love, chapter two is the first place that you fell in love with. Is that Greece? Hundred percent. Like Greece is the first place that I, as a holiday destination that I've definitely fallen in love with, and and since since being with Beth we've travelled lots and been to see lots and since you know finding myself in this position as a as a chef to be able to cook and be asked to do things all over the world the place where we go always go back to as a as a as somewhere where we would look at for a holiday destination is, is somewhere in the Greek islands you know and they're, and they're, they're amazing and but, they're so varied from island to island aren't yeah. they so you can get a completely different feel depending on which collection of islands you visit yeah so which are some of your favourites actually I'm a, the last three years we've been going to Crete so mm, lovely yeah and, and, and it's it's an incredible beautiful island it's a wonderful space warm waters lovely people great food so many parts of it are on, even though it's busy and you find the right restaurants there's some so some incredible places there that just do very very simple food and you know my life is about food and if you go on holiday I don't I don't want to fall into the tourist trap and you know I remember actually get, it was it was a Cypriot island when when we first went to Cyprus and uh it was, we went to Paphos and it, we we stayed at this lovely hotel and Hotel food is great, but it's nice to get out and go and find where everybody goes and, and get in there. So we jumped in a taxi and said, take us into town. And then as the taxi driver was driving us into town, we go, no, just take us to, you know, where the restaurants are. And as you drive into town, he drive, we drive past this tiny little, like, kind of like Greek tavern. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's where I go. That's where all the taxi drivers go. And we carried on driving. And, and, and he dropped us in town. And there was a Chinese. And then there was, like, a Mexican place. And there was, like, I was, like, what are we doing here? The, 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 the restaurants at the front of, of Paphos. And, you know, there, there's some that are all right. There's some that, but it's very touristy. And I just said, mm-hmm. why are we here? I want to go back to where the taxi drivers go. So we walked back up the hill to this brilliant, brilliant restaurant where there were three ladies in the kitchen doing doing lamb stews and roasting chickens on coals and just and it was just the most magical, amazing, beautiful restaurant. Very simple, sat under vine leaves, eating eating great, great, great Greek food, and and it was wonderful. And those, so yeah, that that that's where we've fallen in love with the food and the islands of Greece and. Cyprus, Crete, and and then any of the smaller islands. It, mm. it, it, they're very, very special. Mm. As a chef, then, when you are looking for an authentic place to 
to eat while you're traveling how do you that was a great example because the taxi driver told you but do you have like a special way of sussing out where the decent food's going to be yeah i mean chefs have a knack i mean i gotta be honest see i'm a non-drinker now and i haven't i've not drunk for six years but if you if you're in a town or a city or anywhere and you want someone to find that bar the place that is open late, the one that's full of um, diverse mix of characters, the one that you can get anything that you want and the one that also knows where you, you need to be. That Chefs can find that and we can find that. We have a sixth sense for being able to find that place. <laughs> yeah. within, within two hours of being in a city, we, know, we have found where to go because there's other chefs there. Chefs like that kind of left field way of culture, that slightly dangerous on the edge things that just are not the norm and then when you are in those bars and there's other chefs and there's other they also know where to eat where the great food is whether you're in whether you're in new york and the best pizzas or whether you're in uh, uh, whether you're in singapore and, and the best street food or whether you're in uh, i mean it could be anywhere san francisco whether you're in, like italy it does it really doesn't matter anywhere where we've cooked as chefs you meet other chefs you always find the bar where it's a bit questionable but in that other characters where no you're really under the under the skin of the city and you you, you know great places to get late night kebabs or the best coffee or the best you know just anything like that though chefs will find you that space and it's a sixth sense and i can't tell you how we know it we just we just know you just know you know, wow, like homing so pigeons can just get home yeah. from being dry. Chefs can find that bar. Okay, so when I'm traveling, I need to find a chef. You to need to, to find yourself a chef. <laughs> yeah, you need to find yourself a, a chef as a travel guru. <laughs> yeah. So um, speaking of falling in love, at what point did you fall in love with food, would you say? I... It's weird because, I mean, I've always loved food. I mean, I'm, a, but it was the industry that I fell in love with first. It was, you know, I walked into a kitchen as an 18-year-old needing a job and money and washing up. And, and, and I fell in love with the excitement, the energy, the space, the late nights, the people that work in it, the, the, the knives, the fire, the swearing, the jokes, the banter, the pretty waitresses, the, the just everything about it was just like... It sounds it, kind of intoxicating yeah, the way that you're painting huge. it. it's huge. It's amazing. And where everyone else has got a normal life at, at 5, 5.30, they leave their office and go and do something else. They go to work. Being a chef, being in the hospitality industry is a way of life it isn't just a job it becomes mm. it it overtakes you it completes you it's what it is it becomes an amazing immersive experience that you know the moment i walked into it as an 18 year old it was just like this is where i want to be i want i want this life this is what i want this is exciting it's brilliant it's great and so many people will tell you that i mean you hear go oh, you don't want to get in hospitality it's not you know where's your social life gone well your social life is the best social life it's brilliant it's amazing you know those places you know the other people that work in them you go you can get into the best nightclubs and the best restaurants and you get treated like gods because the people that are there are also the same you know you could be a 20 year old chef with very little money in your back pocket but you go and eat in a two mission style restaurant with other chefs that you know that work there you know you'll get a glass of champagne on arrival you'll get sent out a little course you get to speak to the chef in the kitchen there's all those little perks of the job yes you save that money but you are in those places you're part of that life and it's so exciting it's just a different 
type of life, a different type of social um, mix. You know, you're not just going out on a Friday and Saturday night. You're working, but you may well still go on a Friday and Saturday night, but your evening doesn't start until midnight, you know. Yeah. And then and then you've still got to be back in at work the next day. But they're great. You just have to embrace the excitement of it all. And it, and it is fantastic. And then from that, a love of food grows because you're in that area, you're in that environment. And I st- you start falling in love with the produce and the people, so much of it is about people. It's such an immersive industry to be in that when you're passionate about stuff, you find people that are passionate about the cheese that they make or the baker that loves his bread or the farmer that brings in this incredible beef or the brewer that makes great beer or the winemaker. And you start meeting people who have food and drink is surrounded by passionate people that do it because they love doing it not because it's a business that makes money they do it because this is what they want to do mm-hmm. and you cannot help but be inspired and and that enthusiasm for product craftsmanship rub off on you you just get you, you it suddenly becomes this great thing it, there's craft and there's culture that goes into it all and, and it and it sums up people in the areas of where they're from so many so many um Different foods can represent terroir, you know, where people are, mm. what the, that area where it's where you where it represents and how it's grown and the difference it can make in soil and land and and it and it's very special to be a part of. To be a part of that is amazing. It you sounds know. infectious. It really is. It mm. really is. And you know, I was very lucky as an eighteen-year-old for it to find me. I didn't find it. I, I stumbled across it, and it's I'm the luckiest guy ever. So you were 18, you started off washing dishes and then you fell in love with food, as you say. Um, And how many Michelin stars have you got now? Um, So uh, so the Hand of Flowers, um, we we are a two-star pub. So we, we, I cook, you know, we were, yeah, the Hand of Flowers is a two-star pub and then we opened the coach um, five years ago and that's uh, that's one Michelin star. So we've got a two-star and a one-star pub. There's 200 metres from each other on the same road. Unbelievable. I mean, talk about phenomenal when you were first getting going were you viewing that as the pinnacle you know was that what you were striving towards no never I mean it wasn't it was about um it when I first entered the kitchen it was about enjoying cooking and being a chef and kitchens are very easy to understand and work out you know it's a hierarchy system you start as a pot wash then you move to a commie chef and then as a commie chef you move to a chef to party which means you run a section then you're a sous chef that helps oversee the kitchen and understand what the head chef wants and implements that and then you become a head chef that you're all empowering and it's your vision and your drive you know it's that's that's it simplified however it is it is quite easy to work out so you get on this journey and you you move with it and you grow with it and you and you try and work out um how you have to you base it on knowledge so you you need to pick up as much knowledge as you can but being a chef isn't always just about the food it's kitchen craft understanding how to run a kitchen is equally important if not more important than the understanding of food food for me is about the produce if your kitchen craft is good you're good at finding the produce the produce sings for itself and speaks for itself which allows you to keep your food strong simple mm-hmm. and understand technique and it's a case of those building blocks of getting it together so being a chef is something that um i've just grown with and i never have or have had an end game or an end plan we just keep growing and and when i say we i mean the people that come with us on this journey i mean i opened the hand of flowers it was myself and my wife and my best mate behind the bar and a couple of other guys in the kitchen and that was it and we we just 
keep growing and there's people that have been with us for 15 17 years people that have been with us for 10 12 years people that like and this team of people that have kept growing and growing and growing and now across the board within the hospitality sector of the business that we run there's um, there's around about 270 staff Mm, so it's a big but a lot of those people that management have been with us for years and years and years so this there's this wonderful backbone of staff that have an understanding of the dna of what runs through that business and it is about craft and allowing people to be themselves and allowing them to grow personal development professional development allowing people to expand their their own um, experiences within the group has been so important that's been key to keeping people on that journey with us and, it, mm-hmm. and it's it's wonderful to see imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels easier even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. We were just speaking a little earlier about how I, I visited the Hand and Flowers for a birthday lunch once and an unforgettable lunch. It's a two Michelin star spot, but in the best way, it, the food is accessible, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. We it's have, not you know, scary having to be silent or anything like that. No, that's the it's worst the most thing. Friendly. I mean, we, the Hand of Flowers is a two mission star space and it's amazing. It's got 15 tables, um, but on the menu is a chicken dish that 
um, is inspired by Bernie Inns when I was a kid. There's steak and chips. Yeah. There's, um, you know, we have fish and chips on at lunchtime. There's always a game dish, whether it's pheasant or partridge or venison. There is, you know, we always have a soup on, a terrine on. There will always be a souffle. There's creme brulee that's on all the time. There's a smoked haddock omelette. It's food that people... You understand it. When you read the menu, you'll understand it. However, we do drive and push the technique to get the best out of the ingredient to create their building blocks. A lot of people will talk about um, food as being artistic. Um, now, I'm not an artistic chef in, a, in that form of creativity. Mm. I've, I, I've, I'm, a, I'm a builder. I've understand how to build a plate of food that has to cover taste with texture that is about salt and sour uh, acidity where it comes from sweetness where where is a layer of richness how do we and they're all building blocks of of building a plate together that has to be about um what people want to eat Mm. i'm not up for being groundbreaking in terms of um flavors and profiles and, and 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 trying to drive the boundaries of technique what i want to do is just make the best steak and chips or mm-hmm. I want to do a really good chicken dish or a really good game dish that people understand. Nothing, nothing, nothing that pushes people to question, my God, I don't really know what to eat here. Yeah. You know, that fear of going, which knife and fork do I use? All yeah. of that stuff. I don't, you know, it's a three course meal, start a main dessert. You can have a bowl of soup and a steak and chips and a creme brulee. That's it. I mean, that's it. That, mm-hmm. You should feel comfortable doing that. That's yeah. no problem. And if you want to drink Diet Coke or a pint of local beer, that's great. You know, it's, there's no issue. Love that. Love that. So chapter three then is the place where you learnt the most about yourself. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of places and, and I mean I'll broadly use Asia and I've only been to Asia twice and to two different places Singapore a couple of times and Hong Kong mm-hmm. and um, both times it was to showcase British produce to go out there cooking and I've been I've been blown away by Singapore some people um, Singaporeans have told me like I, when I was out there I hung out with quite a few Singaporeans journalists and chefs and Singapore is Asia for beginners it's a good place to start you know to uh-huh. get start to get under the skin of uh, of different cultures and life and uh, but the food there is absolutely phenomenal it's incredible from posh end top end restaurants which is great but actually then you go out with chefs and we find those bars and places in the late night places where you can go and eat you know the street food there is just fantastic it's absolutely stunning and the same as in hong kong as well there is some incredible beautiful brilliant restaurants late night noodle places and food that is so removed from what i do and it is inspiring in so many ways because there is an energy and a passion for it. But it's the place where I've learned that I'm not a chef like this. I don't live in this environment. The thing about Singapore and Hong Kong, it's not seasonal. You know, the right. weather is very similar. The yeah. produce is very similar. Like Hong Kong, like it's, a lot of it is then imported, you know. And there's these great flavours and it's absolutely stunning. But it is relentlessly to the point of possibly monotony if you live there the same sort of thing all the time mm-hmm. and so i've learned very much to be incredibly proud of being british 
understanding what we do and we have four defined seasons you know and we can change our food it can move for summertime we've got wonderful peas and it moves through to you know you know broad beans and runner beans and asparagus in the spring and then the end of summer you've got wonderful red fruits that are so sweet and then you move on to apples and pears and you know we have this great produce that comes through britain that is hugely different and so i learned so much more about actually being super proud of what we do by traveling and going somewhere else and Mm. but and embracing seasonality as a result hugely hugely but but also wishing that we we had more in the way it is growing and it is getting better but the quality of cheaper street foodie eats the fact that people you know the best thing about street food and that street food market that's moved over the last 10 years that has influenced what happens here we've ta- we're taking away food snobbery because i hate food snobbery i hate it listen there's brilliant special places to go and eat and i love all of that but people who just think eating in a three missile style restaurant is the only good food out there that's not true yeah. there's brilliant fish and chip places you can just get and go and sit on a beach in brighton and eat fish and chips and enjoy the seagulls trying to pinch it like the, the, that sort of stuff is amazing those that I this, can create as special a food memory as, it, as well uh, Absolutely. If not better. I mean, mm-hmm. we've all eaten in Michelin star restaurants where you sit there and you go, yes, everything about this is exact and perfect. But then where's the heart? Where's the soul? And that's the beautiful thing about street food that's come through from places like Singapore and Hong Kong, where it is driven by an energy and a vibrancy and an excitement. And great food is the norm. You know, tasty, super great food is the norm. So being there and being able to represent great britain because when i've been out there we've we've exported british produce to showcase to the marketplace that's there the the point of going wasn't holiday it was for Mm -hmm. business or representing the great campaign for great britain or showcasing so it's been a wonderful thing to do but it also embraces it helps you learn and it's helped me learn to be a lot prouder of the food that we do in great britain and what foods did they then particularly embrace that you were taking over there were there any particular products or ingredients that they got most excited about yeah potatoes are a big thing because it's it's quite difficult mm-hmm. for, as a growing point of view and the soils and the time that it takes and then the storage so things like doing chips properly or roast potatoes or uh, just baking or just the flavors that profile that you can get from different potatoes has been because it's not the norm out there you yeah. know it's, it's not but they're a flavor that isn't too and and the other one that always spins is a is cheese so cheese to an Asian market is quite a strange... Yeah, it's not widely consumed in Asia at all, is it? Not at all. No. I mean, they view cattle as a, it's a different way. You know, it's a, it's a, you know if, you, if you explain cheese to someone who doesn't eat it, I mean, it's pretty... I mean, if you explain blue cheese to someone, yeah, yeah, we take the milk from the cow, then we stir it until it separates... Then all the stuff that's separated from the top, we pack into like a box and then stick it in a cave. Then we inject it with something mold to make it go like blue. I mean, it's a it pretty kind alien. Of yeah, yeah, it's a pretty <laughs> alien concept to somebody who's just you know poaching a little bit of wagyu beef and a really lovely miso broth. It's yeah. something you do what with the milk? Yeah, it's yeah. It's kind yeah. of like you know, it's 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 really it is really removed from the concept. So that's quite an interesting cheese, cheese and and potatoes. Yeah, mm. they, they've been but they've been really good to showcase out there. They've been yeah. really good. That's really interesting. So uh, speaking of learning about ourselves, I'm sure many of us, it being January, are trying to stick to some new year's resolutions maybe to lose weight or get fit uh so it's rather handy that you've got a new book and tv series 
about both of these things. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I find myself as a 46-year-old who's been on a massive weight loss journey and then is trying on that balance to maintain it for the last five or six years and I'm going through different processes of understanding um, my body, what I want, where I want to be in life and how it, um, how food and fitness affects our everyday lives and try and, and then also trying to get control of it you know trying to understand um eat, eating food is massive we all do it we all do it all the time and the idea of being on a diet for some people is just the worst thing and because you worry about what you're going to miss now for the biggest thing for me is that i come from the diet um viewpoint of i'm not a dietitian i'm not a nutritionist i'm not a personal trainer i'm not a you go okay so how do we how do i look at it when well, i'm looking at it like a chef and it's focusing on um, how food tastes. What focus on the food that you can eat, rather than worry about the food that you're going to miss and the food that you can't eat. Um, and then at the same point, the, the way that you go through the fitness process is is also another an extra thing because you know you want to move more and you want to do stuff. I went through a process. I lost a load of weight. I did swimming every day and I'd swim a big distance and I'd love it. And then I changed it up a little bit through travel. And I was always worried that there was never going to be swimming pools in hotels that I was staying in but there was quite often a gym so I changed what I did my gym work and I went from being swimming to weightlifting and I tried to get to the point where I could lift as much as possible and but the problem with lifting I was I was bulking I was getting much bigger so I was putting weight on although it was different and there was a big difference between being strong and fit like Mm -hmm. it's a different like however you don't see I didn't see that until actually I need to do something here I need to get back in control of it so this is the process I mean the book and the tv series are there's 12 volunteers who are going on a weight loss program to lose weight and get fit I write the recipes Um, my best friend Adam is a personal trainer and he's doing some the training tips of how to get fit but it's not about joining a gym it's about you know things that you can do at home and and movement Uh, but this time I am actually one of the guinea pigs I'm taking part in it so in that whole process it's we film it over an eight week period and see where we are from week one to week eight so we see where we get to oh that's so exciting and and how did it well, you can't give us the kind of big reveal at the end. No, I can't. Like, how, I, did, how was the, the I mean, journey? I can't reveal. However, you know, like it, it's the TV show's good. There, yeah. There's some life changing moments for people. We do some really great stuff. And, you know, the recipes work. Very cool. When you travel, then, do you try and stick to this regime or do you just kind of give yourself a break? Well, it's very difficult. It, like, my, my, my life works. It's gone from being in a kitchen every day from where I had routine of what I'm doing to there is absolutely no routine in my working life at, right now. We have, you know, we have a butcher's and, and two pubs in Marlow. We have a restaurant in Manchester, one in London, and then everything else that we do on top of that and so there really is no structure and that's very difficult to stay on um a form of regime or, or just eating habit i mean regime makes it sound horrible regime makes it sound but the diet makes it sound bad diet is a routine just, yeah a routine diet yeah. is just the way we eat things that we eat so i find being on a lower calorie diet is easier than being a low carb now low carb is the way that i lost a load of weight because i alienated a food group i can concentrate on it i was working in the kitchen and this is where i'm driving six years on my life is slightly different there's much more variant to it so lower calorie means that if you do travel and you are somewhere else you can enjoy having wonderful 
sourdough in San Francisco. You can enjoy having brilliant noodles and ramen somewhere in in Hong Kong. You can enjoy having, you know, brilliant bowl of pasta somewhere in Italy whilst your wife is carving stone. You know, you can make the most of it, but you just have to bring everything into balance over a, over a week kind of structure and go right okay mm-hmm. well that was a bad day the next day i can do well i'll just counterbalance it by being much better this day you know mm-hmm. whereas um, a lower carbohydrate diet is there's, there's very little in the way of wavering you just have to kind of stay on that point so right. so yeah it, it is hard but it's only there's you know it's the same as anything if you want something and you want it enough you have to concentrate and focus on it mm-hmm. so chapter four is your all-time favorite destination now i'm not really Hong Kong, I absolutely loved. Now, I loved it as a um, an amazing, sprawling metropolis where there's no parks. There's not much in the way of outdoor space. There's nothing. It's just this great lot. It's almost like somewhere from a sci-fi movie where it just keeps going up and up and up and up and up. And there's an energy and a spark and it's brilliant. And it is amazing for three or four days. However, I think being there... M- much longer it's like this is it's kind of it's quite full on quite intense it's quite intense but i loved it i loved the intensity of it i loved the vibrancy of it it was fantastic but i gotta be honest a place that i i truly um love visiting and where i think the food scene is great and i think there's so much to go and see and do and again it's quite seasonal is, is new york i'm a big fan of new york i've done last year i did about five weeks out in the states traveling all over doing um something for um a food network and and visiting lots of different parts of america which was a true privilege and amazing and you know the diversity of of being down in in tucson in arizona going all the way up to vermont and you know over to you know to miami or florida keys and then you know it was just all over the place was great but new york you get you can get much it's like a massive vibrant london and there's park spaces there there's a brilliant food scene there there's fantastic coffee culture there's art scene there there's there's so much and you can you can do a great weekend there and but you could also be there for a week and go and you know really enjoy it you would spend a week in the summer there you know it's it's just a a, a, new york for me is a a brilliant 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 place to spend and it's not like being in america if that makes sense like having done the rest of america everyone thinks new york is america new york is in america new york is an incredible busy brilliant vibrant city that is almost a country to itself it's a bit like singapore singapore is very similar like this great big vibrant city and country that is you know they're very similar and i love those kind of places i love a place that has an energy and an excitement about it as much as i love Holidays where you go and read a book have have gone for me because I've got a four-year-old son. So the moment that you have a child, a holiday where you sit down and you read a book, that's gone. That doesn't exist anymore. Oh, We're just no. babysitting in a hot country. That's it. That's <laughs> it you know. So it's it's, it's not the, it's not you know it's not the, the, those moments have, have disappeared. I'm looking forward to him going off to wherever he's going to be as an 18-year-old. Hopefully. I don't know, signed by a Premier League football team or, uh, yeah. or driving Formula One. Either uh-huh. one is fine. But, you know, uh, and then I can get those holidays back. But, until, but I, you know, I, I, that's fine by me. I, I'm happy with those. That's, that's really, really cool. But otherwise, New York is a brilliant space for me to be. Mm. And how about Chapter 5, which is your hidden gem, perhaps a spot that we might not know that much about that you've fallen in love with? 
So to be honest, I'm going to stay in this country for that one. I'm going to stick with the UK and I'm going to go for the North Kent coast. Oh, great. And, I, and I, I absolutely love it. I love Whitstable. I love Sea Salter. I love the view from the beach. It's a pebble beach and you look out and, there, and there's amazing wind turbines and there's um, fantastic old forts from the wall that you can see. I, I like it. It's a, it's, a, it's a great view and also great big ocean going liners that go across the back or, you know, that, that, or that have um, the big tankers. But there's something quite interesting industrial about it but also it's a seaside resort and the Whitstable again it's a foodie area the North Kent coast is foodie Canterbury is fantastic you know there's the good shed there which is a brilliant kind of um a a produce led shed next to the old disused railway line where but there's there's different producers and suppliers in there and a little restaurant in there and it's great place you've got the Fordwich Arms which is just one of Michelin Star you've got um, the Compasses Inn in Crondale which isn't too far as well which is a beautiful rural pub which is absolutely brilliant and then you've also got of course the Sportsman in Sea Salter which is you know arguably Britain's best loved and most amazing pub that's right on the coast it uses food from around the area that uses you know uh, salt marsh lamb that's beautiful uses sea herbs and vegetables from the shoreline makes their own butter makes their own seaweed butter cooks beautiful fit like it's very very simple but it's amazing so the north kent coast for me is somewhere really special really chilled you haven't got to get on a plane you haven't got to get any any of the stresses of traveling you could just get get to the North Kent coast, enjoy it in the sunshine. But also, there's something there's something really magical about British seaside towns in the winter, yeah, and yeah. I love them. I absolutely in the love winter. Them. In the yeah. yeah, in the when it's raining and and and, and it's snowing, or it, it's you know, and you go for a really blustery walk on the beach with the dogs, and then you find somewhere and have a hot chocolate, mm-hmm. and just you know, just those sorts of things. You, you blow the cobwebs away, and you Toasty, really do. Yeah. I, I I love English seaside towns in the winter time. Mm. In contrast, then, chapter six is a place that you'd never go back to. I would, wouldn't go back to. I was very lucky that this um, uh, Christmas I went to Lapland. Oh, and wow. I went and took our little man who's four to go and see. And we went with friends and their daughter who's the same age. And we went to go and see Santa. And it was amazing the elves came and picked us up from the hotel and we oh. went out into the woods and we went to go see santa in his workshop and and everything was just magical and you can't repeat that you just can't recreate that magic to see kids faces having had that amazing wonderful time and go out with on the went on a husky sled run and you know the hotel has got its own little toboggan space next to it so the kids could jump on the sledges and you know go like it was just everything about it was a magical three or four days and it was just it was very special you know you managed to eat eat local foods hang out in you know it it was it was lovely so but i would i we can't go back you know he's that's recreate that magic exactly he's met santa once that'll do we'll just have to remind him every year and tell him you (laughs) know you've got to continue being good otherwise santa's not going to visit yeah because now he's a personal friend (laughs) that's exactly it yeah yeah exactly (laughs) so uh, chapter seven is your next big adventure um i'd like to do a lot more scandinavia I'd like to do, I love the idea of Eastern Europe as well. I love the idea of, of Germany and Poland and Austria, of those kind of foods. Um, I, again, my travel is all about, you know, food and uh, and quite, stre- and oddly, and art, you know, because of Beth and, you know, going to see an art scene and a vibrancy. I, we love um, 
not urban living, but left field, people that make statements, people that are living a life rather than just letting life happen around them. So places where that is happening. Um, but also we both talk about, um, I'd like to, never been, and we, but we'd love to do India, and Beth would love to do India, and I'd be a big fan of going to see India. The vibrancy, the culture, the 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 the, the noise, the smells, the sounds, the food, the everything. Um, so India would be a very that's very high up on our list, and Japan. I would be, a, I, I really would love to go to Japan. Now I've got lots of chef friends that have been, and just the way the respect that is paid to a food culture in Japan is is absolutely you know second to none. The way that you know the ingredients are loved and cared for, and you know from start to finish, something like that. That, that I would love to do Japan. I've I've done neither of them, and I would love to do them both India and Japan. So some of those are perhaps on chapter eight as well which is what's at the top of your bucket list are they your bucket list destinations japan japan is a bucket list japan is getting out there but i don't the problem i've got see there is a big issue is that i have a shellfish allergy ah go in there not speaking japanese not really understand it like I would need to go with someone with a guiding hand, and I w- and that's the way to do it as well. I, I, it would have to, it would probably have to be a chef-led food trip mm-hmm. with people who know things. We'd find those places, and when I find them, I'll come back and tell you which ones to go to. Oh, amazing! Thank you so much, Tom Kerridge. Those were your travel diaries. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Pleasures on mine. Thank you. That was the utterly delightful Tom Kerridge. I think a foodie weekend break to the North Kent coast is now on my 2020 to-do list. And the Greek island of Agistri, I'd never heard of it. Had a Google and it looks like absolute paradise. So that's a great one to know about. If you've enjoyed this episode, scrolling down to leave a five-star review or a rating really helps other people to discover the podcast. And to find out who's on next week's show, come and find me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening and I'll speak to you next week. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons, I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos, visiting some places that have been on my bucket list. And while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun, my home will be hosting guests from all over the world thanks to Airbnb. It's the perfect way to make your travels even more rewarding. Instead of letting your home sit empty while you're off exploring new destinations, why not turn it into a cozy retreat for fellow travellers just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.